Hey there, this is Daniel, lead pastor of Christ City, Surrey. I pray that this sermon would be used by God in conjunction with you belonging to a local church. If you're not part of a local church, let me invite you to join us. We gather each Sunday at 16126 93A Avenue in Surrey for worship, word, and sacrament. If you want to be a part of or hear more about what we believe God has called us to, you can visit ChristCityChurch.ca. I hope that what you're about to hear expands your joy and leads you to fall more in love with Jesus. Today's scripture is Exodus 4, 10 to 31. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am now slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God be as God to him, and take him in your hand, this staff with which you shall not shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Truly you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they had heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. You may be seated. As you're being seated, let me pray for us once more. So Heavenly Father, we do ask you to speak to us to all of those in this room, both young and old, Lord, would you meet us in this place? We want to hear from you because it's from you that we receive true life. So help us, Lord. We can't, we can't do this alone. We need you. And so we just ask you to do this for, for our sake and for your glory. 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. One of the more exciting milestones to be a part of, I think, a, a child's life has to be their first steps. Uh, th- this past week, we're at community group, we're just finishing up uh, dinner, we're, we're cleaning up, and just in the corner of my eye, I see this little girl who I, I've never seen take any steps before. Her, her parents tell me that she's taken a step or two, which is kind of like, yeah, yeah, my, my kindergartner does calculus when, when you don't see her. Uh, but, but they're like, no, no, she does. Anyways, I've never seen it. And so she just stands up and she just takes five steps just, just out of nowhere. And I'm, I'm quickly like turned into her mom. I'm quickly turned into her dad. I was like, did you, did you see that? Did you, that, that was amazing. And we're like celebrating and high-fiving, like get the champagne out. This is incredible. No, we didn't. But, but it was, it was this exciting moment. Now, I, I, I realize that um, a, a lot of work goes into uh, those first steps a child takes. A, a lot of work happens be behind the scenes be before that event, right? There, there's a lot of encouraging, like, come on, come on, you could do it. There, there's the pleading, like, please do it for me and not your mother. I need this. There, there, there's the uh, reassuring, right? The open hands. Hey, I got you. It's okay if, if, you, if, you, if you stumble, I'm here. I'll catch you. And so, so bravely, a, a, a child takes that first step and you, you kind of pull back your hands a little bit, not because you're a jerk, but because you want them to see they did it. And maybe they take another step and you again pull back and, and one step turns into two, turns into three, turns into five, and all of a sudden they're walking. Th- this morning, um, what we're going to see in many ways is Moses taking his first steps. In, in Exodus chapter 3, so in a, in a previous chapter, God said this. Then the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. I've seen, I've heard, I know, I've come down, and so I'm going to deliver. And then last week, what we saw is God's ultimate sovereignty over Pharaoh, over nature, over the forces of darkness. And so in many ways, the matter settled. When God said he's going to deliver Egypt, in a way, it's done. It's a done deal. And yet, and yet, Despite the power of God saying, I'm going to be the one to deliver, God tells this to Moses. Exodus 3.10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you might bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. God has all power, and yet, for Moses' joy... Moses goes, God goes, Moses, I, I, I want to use you in this. I, I want to, to have my power displayed through you. And, and naturally, Moses is afraid. Man, you want, you want me to go to the, to the most powerful man that lives in the known world. You, you want me to go to Pharaoh and just tell him to, to let two 
plus million people from Israel just, just walk on out of Egypt. And so God, in his gentleness, in his gracious compassion, goes, Moses, I'm, I'm here for you. Moses, I, I got you. Just, just take that first step. If you stumble, I'll, I'll catch you. And I think we need this because we need to understand that God has determined to do some incredible things in this world. God's determined to, to save the lost, to, to bring dead people back to life, to, to, to bring renewal and, and change and, and to make this world new. To, to raise up children, to raise up the next generation, to, to know him and, and serve him. And then God goes, Christ CD, I want you to be a part of that. You, you, you do it. And, and so we need to see the, the way that God is, is graciously kind of walking Moses through these first steps. We, there, there's five lessons, okay? Here's my outline. Uh, five, five lessons, five ways, five things God wants us to know as he reassures us and calls us to live into the, the fullness of life, to, to live into his, his mission and purposes for our lives. So here, kids, listen, listen for one second, kids. Um, I have five points this morning. Here, they all start with W. If you can write down all five of my points, and bring me that piece of paper at the end of our time together this morning, I will give you a piece of chocolate, okay? Uh, your parents are taking you home, and so you can have a piece of chocolate. Um, if, you, if you can't write down things, you don't know how to write yet, if you just remember, kids, one thing, and come talk to me afterwards, I would love to also give you a candy or a chocolate, okay? So five things, they all start with W. Here we go, ready? The first thing we need to see, God uses us in our one weakness. Weakness. At this point in our passage, it's been almost 40 years since Moses, the, the former prince of Egypt, made his way out of his palace, down, down to his people, saw an Israelite being oppressed and beaten by an Egyptian. And so Moses steps in 40 years ago and tried to rescue his people. It's been almost 40 years. And despite that happening all those years ago, um, Moses still feels shell-shocked. He still feels inadequate and ill-equipped. Alec Matir puts it this way. He says, if Moses lives in our memories as this towering leader of Israel in deliverance and, and pilgrimage, it is well to remember where he started. Insecure, uncertain, unprepared, unworthy, and un-almost everything else. And so God goes hey, I'd like to use you, Moses, to deliver my people out of Egypt. And Moses' response in verse 10, 4 verse 10, he reads this. Hey, God, um, me no speak good. Not, not back then and not now. Not since we started chatting. Like 15 minutes ago when we started, I think that's funny. Since we started chatting, God, I still no speak good. 
That's a paraphrase. This is actually how it's put. Verse 10, but Moses said to the Lord, oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. You, you need to know scholars um, have a bunch of different opinions on what's actually going on with Moses here. Some think he might have a lisp, maybe, maybe he stammers. Other think, others think that he might actually have like a real physical illness, like, like there's some sort of deformity that, that makes it difficult for him to speak. And whatever it is, I, I think it doesn't matter in many ways. Whatever it is, whatever struggle Moses, is, Moses has, it's interesting to note that God doesn't anywhere downplay these struggles. God's not going, oh, Moses, you know what? I actually think you're a pretty smart guy. Moses, don't worry about that. Moses, don't you know? You, you know Hebrew and Egyptian. Man, you, you were raised in Pharaoh's palace. Man, you know how few people know Egyptian and Hebrew? You know how smart you are? Man, you got the finest education known in the world. What do you mean you're, you're not equipped for this? None of that. There's none of that reassurance from God. Instead, look at how God responds. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Moses, don't, don't you know that I'm aware of the situation here? I, I, I made your mouth. You just called me Lord, right? So that means I made your mouth and I made Pharaoh's ears. Man, I can get Pharaoh to hear whatever I want him to hear. I, I made you mouth. I made his ears. Verse 12, now therefore go. I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. I'm with you, Moses. My, my power is there with you. And then verse 13, I think Moses transitions from maybe this genuine, authentic humility to, I think, just outright determined pride. Verse 13, Moses goes, but he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. You know what, God? Actually, this is how I feel. Just, just use someone else. I, I, don't, I don't think you can use me. And so verse 14 says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Listen, this is how God responds in anger, with mercy, okay? Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levites? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And again, listen, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him. This gentle, reassuring persuasiveness from the Lord. And the key both times is, I'm with you. I, I'm with you, Moses. Okay, that's not good enough. Okay, I'll send you and Aaron. And again, I'm with you both. I'm with you. Forty years ago, when Moses left his palace, he thought his presence would be enough. 
He thought by leaving his throne and making his way down to his people, that would be enough. If I'm there, surely that would mean my people are free. And what Moses needs to learn is it's not his presence that's sufficient. It's God's presence that's sufficient. What what Moses cannot accomplish on his own, God can. What Moses cannot do in his weakness, God can. Yahweh can. The, The great I am can. And he's with you. I think one of uh, our enemy's strategies, one, one of the devil's strategies against us, I think is to actually make us aware of all the needs around us and to kind of quickly hurry us up and, and get us out into, into the world and, and facing all those problems. C- C.S. Lewis puts it this way. He says, The real problem of the Christian life comes when people do not usually look for it. Listen, it comes the very moment you wake up each morning. All your wishes and and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals. Just just working your way through that to-do list. Just, Just a list of wild animals. And the first job each morning consists simply in shoving them all back in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, letting that other, larger, stronger, quieter voice come flowing in. Hurry up, hurry up, get get out into the world. Just, just, Just get on with it. Just as long as you're out there, not having first been with the Lord, as long as you're out there, absence from the presence of God, then that's fine. That's, that's fine that the enemy would have for us. And and so what we actually need is to to be with the Lord. Man, oh man, I know how hard this is. Life's busy, there's so much going on, you feel like you can barely get it in. Man, but you need to know that you have to be with the Lord. Power comes because of his presence in your life. And so, man, let me just plead with you to fight for that time. To fight for time in God's word, listening to him and then, and then praying and, and talking back to him. You, you can't um, short circuit this process of God going, hey, these are all my struggles, God. Just, just like Moses, right? These are all my struggles. These are all my fears. I know speak good, God. Man, I'm busy. I'm tired. I'm weak. I don't know how to do that, God. And God goes, okay, I've heard you. I've spoken to you. Man, you need to know now I'm with you. So let's go. Now now it's time to go. Fight fight for that time with the Lord. Be creative. Listen to the Bible on on audio as you drive. Listen to sermons as you go for walks. Post scripture in your mirror as you're you're getting ready in the morning. Just, Just be with the Lord. It's where power is found. God's power is made perfect in our weakness. Secondly, kids, ready? God uses us in our weakness, number one. And secondly, God uses to whatever we have. Whatever we have. Look at verse 17 and following. 
Three, three times we're going to hear God does not send Moses back to Egypt empty-handed. L- listen to this. So God says in verse 17, And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do these signs. So Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. Then the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And again, hear it, Moses took the staff of God in his hand. In verse 21, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your hand. The word there in our ESV power is literally also the word hand. So three times God goes to Moses, Moses, okay, go back. Hey, oh, what's that, what's that you got in your hand? Oh, a stick. That's cute. Oh, look, there's even a, a little handle. Did you like carve that yourself? Anyways, you know what? That's good. I, I can use that. You, 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 should take, you should take the stick with you. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me show my power th- through that stick. God, God takes whatever Moses has and uses that. God, God's not asking Moses to go, to go and find some sort of thing to find some sort of ability, to find some sort of resource that, that's not available to him. God goes, no, 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 just take what you have. Just, just use that. Which, which I think is deeply encouraging. I, I think um, one of our constant struggles is feeling like we're not doing enough. There, I, th- I think there's this, this burden that we, we carry with us that, that goes, man, if only I could accomplish that thing. If, if only I was able to do that, then I would be enough. That, then I would be loved. Then I would have value and, and worth. We, we feel like we either aren't doing enough or that whatever we're doing, we're not doing good enough. And so we, we feel this constant weight of, of coming up short. And, and we just need to hear sometimes that, that maybe God hasn't actually called you to all those things. Maybe the, that, that to-do list that you've set for yourself, that organizing that other room, having that, that family over for dinner, engaging in that person's life, evangelizing over there, or whatever it might be, maybe God actually hasn't called you to all that. Maybe it's the devil who said, Hey, you should do all those things. And, and he's just constantly having you, you carry the, this guilt and shame of not living up. And, and you need to hear that God gives you everything you need to accomplish what he has for you. God, God doesn't call you to something in life and go, okay, now you're off empty-handed. No, no, he, he calls you to something and then he equips you with everything you need. You need to go to Egypt, Moses? Okay, here's, my sta- here's the staff. J- j- just take that with you. M- God is not asking us to do things that we can't do. Now, I, I'm, I, I think that it's important 
to sometimes take an inventory of our lives. So, so maybe it's, we should evaluate our priorities and go, okay, maybe, maybe I do have some access to, to some resources or some energy that, that I wasn't readily available or aware of. I, I, read, a, I read a story this past week of a, a woman who died in, in Oregon from homelessness, um, except she, she didn't know she had over $800,000 in the bank. She just inherited that money and was never made aware of. So, so may, maybe there are resources or abilities or, or talents that God's given us that, that we need to tap into. But if, if this is all he's got, man, yesterday I was, um, I, was, I was raking my lawn. There's a bunch of pine cones on my lawn. I'm holding my child in one hand. I'm bobbing him to stop him from crying. And I'm trying to rake with one hand. Do you know how hard it is to rake with one hand? And I'm like, this would take five minutes. I'm out here for a half an hour. But that's all I got. Maybe that's all you got. All God asks you is to use whatever you have. To take whatever you have to lay it before the Lord and go, okay, God, would you use this? Maybe you're, God's calling you to engage in, in the life of an unbeliever. To, to, to tell them about the Lord. And, and you just go, man, God, I don't know. Man, I don't have a theology degree. I don't, I don't have a degree in philosophy. What if they ask me a question that I don't know the answer to? You need to hear, maybe the Lord hasn't given you an answer for a reason. Maybe you're not supposed to have an answer. But you do have your story. You do have your experiences and the, and the way the Lord's spoken to you in, in your life. And maybe that's all you're supposed to share. Hey, I don't, I don't know the, the answer to that question. Let me, let me get back to you. This is what you do need to hear, man. God's changed my life. Let me, let me tell you about this. God uses us in our weakness and he uses whatever we have. Thirdly, kids, this is what God wants to tell Moses as he heads on out. He wants to help him understand the nature of the number three, work. The work. Look, look at verse 21 again. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I've put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Um, this theme, this idea of Pharaoh's hard heart is a major theme in the book of Exodus. Um, we read about it at least 18 times. Three, three times, uh, Pharaoh hardens his own heart. Six times, we just read generally about Pharaoh's hard heart. And nine other times, God's the one who hardens Pharaoh's heart. So we're going to have to talk about that. We're not doing that today, though. What you, do know, what you do need to know for today is that God promises Moses that when he goes back to Egypt, it's going to be hard. The work is going to be hard. Um, when God calls us to something, he doesn't guarantee it's going to be easy. It's not like, hey, maybe, maybe Pharaoh's heart's going to be hard. Maybe he won't let the people go. Let's go find out. God goes, no, no. Actually, he won't do it. He's not going to let you go. He's going to have a hard heart. And so the work's going to be difficult. 
And, and sometimes God calls us to, to difficult things. And that doesn't mean it's not where we're supposed to be. It might mean that we're exactly where we're supposed to be. Maybe your, your job right now is, is one of great difficulty. Maybe it's a manager, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's just the nature of the work. It's hard. Maybe you're trying to raise your children. To just, you're just trying to disciple them, to discipline them. And again and again, they just push back. They, they, they don't seem to be changed by it. Maybe there's a person you're trying to love on and, and serve, and they're ungrateful, they're rude, doesn't seem like it's making an impact in your life. Maybe, maybe you're maybe you're not supposed to be there. Maybe you're not supposed to be in those situations, but but maybe you are. Maybe sometimes the work is just hard. And so instead of just trying to decide if we're supposed to be in that situation based on the basis of whether it's easy or hard, whether things are going well or things are going difficultly, we should we should turn again to God's word. We should pray about it. We should, we should invite others to, to speak into our lives. Hey, I'm going through this right now. Do you sense that this is still where God has me? When, when God calls us to something, the work he calls us to is not always going to be easy or go well. Sometimes it's going to be hard and difficult, and God might be perfectly working out his plan in that situation. Fourthly, we learn as we respond to God's call, that he wants us to be whole. Number four, he wants us to be whole. Look at verses 22 to 26. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So we let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Um, I know this is the moment. This is in all of Exodus. This is the moment you've been waiting for. I and on a day when kids are in the gathering, this is this is a ton of fun. Um, okay, let, let's uh, let's talk about this. Let's just acknowledge a little strange, right? Whatever whatever's going on here, a little, little bizarre. But I, I do think there's an important lesson underlying all of this that that, that would really serve us and benefit us. Okay. Uh, up to this point in, in Exodus, um, we've heard um, God refer to himself as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Four, four times. In 2.24, in 3 verse 6, in 3 verse 15, and in 3 verse 16. Four times God says, I'm the God of Abraham. Now, we first read about God's relationship with Abraham all the way back in Genesis. In Genesis 17, we actually read about this, this covenant language. A covenant is this relational vow. It's this, 
um, relationship that's established be- between two parties, and it's, it's marked by this, this symbol or, or this, this ritual. And so we, we read this in, in Genesis chapter 17. And I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring. This is God talking to Abraham. I'm going to establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to, to your offsprings after you. I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan. I'm going to give you the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant. You shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Um, When... A bride and a groom are getting married. They exchange vows. What, what, what they do when they, when they turn and face each other is exchanging a, a covenant. They're, they're making promises to one another. Outrageous promises. But I'm going to be with you in, 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 in sickness or in health. For better or for worse. For, for richer or for poor. I don't care how much you got or how little you got. Man, I'm, I'm with you and I'm never leaving you. In the same way, God says some outrageous promises to Abraham. Man, I'm going to be with you and your offspring and all of your offspring after that. Man, I'm going to give you land. It's going to be an everlasting possession. And then in, in weddings, we, we exchange a, a symbol of those vows, a symbol of that covenant, which is, which is a ring. Back then, God said, Here, here's my symbol of the covenant, circumcision. Now, again, the, like, the question is, is, God, could you not have picked another symbol? Like a, like, like a piercing, even, or, or even like a tattoo? Like, a lot of things would, would work, right? And yet God goes, man, instead, I'm, I'm picking this, this gory, this bloody, this, this sensitive thing. And, and the question is, is, is why? Because God's reasoning is because that it's supposed to be an outward symbol of an inward reality. This is what God's saying. God's saying, look, if you sin, if you fail to trust me, you, you walk away from me in disobedience, if our relationship ends, that symbol of the covenant should come true to you. You should be cut off. You, you should experience a, a gory, bloody life and, and death. That, that, that's the consequence of, of breaking God's covenant. And so what's happening in our passage then? Moses, we just heard, is supposed to go to Pharaoh and say, hey, Israel is God's son. God views this nation like his own son. And this son is to be set apart and supposed to live in relationship with him and serve him. But we see Moses has failed to apply the same reasoning to his own son. 
Moses has failed to circumcise his own son, Gershon. And so Moses is, is living like a hypocrite. He, he's supposed to tell Pharaoh, Pharaoh, this son of God is, is supposed to serve him. He's supposed to be devoted to him. And yet Moses has failed to set apart his own son and devote his own son to the Lord. And so God goes, okay, Moses, do you not understand that you're breaking the covenant right now? And so what, what, what does God do? He, he tries to put Moses to death. And so Zipporah, Moses' wife, is like, oh my goodness, I see my husband, I see my, my, my bridegroom, the one I love, under attack. He looks like he's, he's about to die. And so she's quickly aware of what's going on. And she's like, hiya! It's too, too, too much. Um, and, and, and she takes her son, she, she circumcises her son, and then touches Moses' feet with it. Um, back then, it was the father's responsibility to circumcise his son. And so Zipporah, the reason she touches her son's uh, foreskin to Moses' feet, it's as though she's trying to attribute her act of righteousness to Moses. God, God credit this to Moses. Don't, don't kill him, even though it's me who, who did the righteous act. Here, here's the lesson for us. All that to say this. Um, when God calls us to, to serve him out in, our wor- out in the world and in our families, he, he may not ask for our competence. He doesn't ask us to be all up to snuff, all powerful and all wise. He doesn't ask for competence, but he does ask for character. What God wants is for Moses to be whole, to to not be a hypocrite, to to not be divided, to not have his his words be one thing and his actions be another thing. He wants to bring them into alignment so he's whole, so that he's holy, holy and holy serving the Lord. Um. We're not called to be perfect. It may be that we continue to to stumble our way through life. And yet the the one God chooses to use, those through whom his power is displayed, are those who are quick to repent of their sin, to acknowledge their shortcomings, and who are quick to turn again to God and go, God, I I need your forgiveness. God, I want to be like you. I want to be holy. God, when I tell someone that that you have saved me from slavery to sin, when I I tell someone, God, that you are worthy of it all, that you you rescued us, that that sin is no longer the thing I long for, but I I long for the Lord. Man, God, I I want my my actions to match my words. I, I I want them to see God, just just truly how powerful you are at changing lives. God God calls us to be whole, to to pursue holiness. It's it's those who are holy that that God uses. Which which brings us to this. Um, If you get nothing else from this sermon, please hear this. Please, Please hear one thing. Okay, you've been distracted, lots going on. Just, just fight for 
your attention for, for two minutes here. The, the problem with God using those who are whole is that we'll never be whole. But we'll never live up to, to God's standards for our lives. And so, so actually all of us deserve the curse of the covenant. All of us deserve to be, to be cut off from him, to, to endure death instead of life, to not be used by him and instead to face judgment. That's, that's what all of us deserve. So how is it that God can call us broken, needy sinners? Here, here's how. In Colossians 2, verse 11, we read this. This is, this is why the whole circumcision bit is important, because it says this. In him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You, you Christian... If, if you've put your trust in the Lord, in a way, Paul says here in Colossians, you've been circumcised. You've been set apart. But it's not something you did. You, you didn't accomplish that. Actually, it's through Christ's circumcision. But what, what is the circumcision of Christ referring to here? I think it's actually referring to Christ's death on the cross. On the cross... Jesus endured the curse of the covenant. On the cross, Jesus experienced that bloody and gruesome death. On the cross, Jesus was, was cut off from his relationship with the Father. And then, just as Zipporah's act of righteousness was credited to Moses, God goes, okay, if you trust in my son, I'll credit his act of righteousness to you. I'll view you as though you were Jesus holy, perfect, and blameless before me. It, it's, it's the death of God's own son that allows us to be God's sons. There's a reason God uses us and loves us and saves us and calls us and equips us, and it's not because of anything we've ever done or will do. It's all because of what Jesus has done. Lastly, the reason God chooses to work like this is so that he would, number five, be worshipped. Worship. Look, look at verses 29 to 31. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the others of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, that he had seen their affliction, they bowed down their heads and worshipped. When Moses shows up and the elders of Israel go, oh my goodness, you did all those things? They go, of course it's God who must have shown up. <laughs> of course it's God, it's not you. We, we know how messed up you are. I mean, you couldn't do that on your own. And so what, is it, what do they do? They worship. No, not Moses, but God. To, to him be all the glory. Let me end like this. William um, Cooper is considered by many to be one of the greatest English hymn writers. You, you would probably recognize many of the hymns he's written. Um, what you may not be aware of is that um, throughout his life, he suffered from a severe depression. In, in his 20s, he suffered from 
several bouts of depression that left him crippled. In his 30s, he tried to commit suicide. He, he would later be diagnosed as a madman and was admitted into a mental institution. And even after he was discharged, he continued to struggle with crippling sorrow and pain. He was a brilliant poet and hymn writer who could barely think and barely write. And yet, in his weakness, and I think also because of his weakness, he was able to write hymns that have deeply encouraged Christians throughout many generations. I want to read, I'm going to end by reading just these two verses from one of his hymns. One of the hymns he wrote is, There is a fountain filled with blood. And two of those verses, we're actually going to sing these later, said this. Ever since by faith I saw the stream, thy flowing wounds supply. Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. When this poor, lisping, stammering tongue lies silent in a grave, then, in a nobler, sweeter song, I'll sing thy power to save. By his wounds we have been healed, so that in our weakness we might serve him, so that in our weakness we might sing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want you to have all the glory and all the honor. God, we are... Um, Oh man, just aware of uh, our shortcomings. And so we're just, we're just astonished that you would use us. God, would you make us holy so that as you work through us, people, people would not only hear of you, they, they would see you. God, God we, want, we want you to be honored. We want, we want you to be worshiped. We want you to change lives. And so God, we say, here we are. Take what we have and use it. Multiply our few loaves and our few fish, God, and, and feed the thousands, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.